We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 572 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, May 15th, 2023, and we have ourselves a formally announced, signed, and exclusive agreement by which the Snyders are selling the Commanders to the Josh Harris Group. How about that announcement on Friday afternoon? Quote, the Washington Commanders and a partnership led by Josh Harris have entered into a purchase and sale agreement. It was jointly announced on Friday, May 12th. The purchase and sale agreement calls for Harris and partners to acquire the Washington Commanders from the Snyder family. The agreement is subject to NFL approval as well as the satisfaction of customary closing conditions, end quote. Uh, The agreement has our satisfaction, safe to say that, Uh, but per reports, the agreement is signed and is exclusive. If you have been worried that Dan Snyder might not actually sell the team, worry no more. If you have been worried that Dan might only sell a minority stake in the team, worry no more. The Danny is done. All that is left is the finalizing of the sale. Uh, Now, that finalizing may take a few weeks, but that finalizing is considered a mere formality. You know, it's fitting that we have this glorious news for episode 572 of the podcast. Five and 72. The Redskins have won five NFC championships, the first of which was for the 1972 season. The five NFC championships, of course, represent an outstanding time for our team. That time was a long time ago, (laughs) okay? But the sale of the team now makes having a time like that time again more possible than has been the case 
in decades. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The sale of the Commanders is not done, but it now has been formally announced. And that is a big deal, a very big deal. You know, technically speaking, the man who has owned our team since May 1999, Dan Snyder, aka Danny Boy, uh, he had never publicly said that he was selling the team until this announcement on Friday afternoon. But that now has been said, that now has been declared, and it was said, it was declared just hours after yet another major report from ESPN on Dan. Yeah, early Friday afternoon, we had a report from ESPN saying that Danny Boy wants to limit the release of the Mary Jo White report. And then later on Friday afternoon, we had the big joint announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris. Uh, next segment, in-depth reaction to and analysis of all of this. It is so good to be with you for a show like this in a time like this. Kind of a mixed weekend for Josh Harris, though, right? Uh, he, as managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers, <laughs> did not have a very good Sunday. His Sixers got humiliated in Game 7 on Sunday. Their season now is over. Uh, more time to focus on the Commanders. Uh, but a 112-88 loss at the Boston Celtics in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Jason Tatum, 51 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists versus no turnovers, two steals, uh, one of the single best Game 7 performances in NBA history. Uh, the Sixers in the third quarter scored 10 points. 10 points! How does that happen in a Game 7? Uh, oh well, that's a 76ers problem. Uh, anyway, additionally, I have a segment for you on the best of what head coach Rod Rivera had to say in a rookie minicamp press conference on Friday afternoon. The presser happened before the big announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris, but the presser did include some interesting stuff from Ron uh, on corner Emmanuel Forbes, running back Chris Rodriguez Jr., and assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Ron talked about the impact of EB. Uh, EB has incited some changes to how the commanders do things. Uh, you will hear about that and a lot more. Uh, also on the show, I will talk nationals off them over the weekend, uh, losing two of the first three games of a four-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park, as we had controversy on Saturday night. Uh, an absolute debacle of a rain delay at Nationals Park. Yes, this happened again. Why have the Nats had so many problems with rain delays at Nationals Park over the years? But Saturday, a rain delay that lasted for an absurd three hours, 56 minutes, during which fans at Nationals Park were basically told nothing, okay? And then the game got suspended. Uh, that was ridiculous. I will discuss that uh, in the actual games at Nationals Park over the weekend. And I will properly salute the Orioles for yet another series win, their ninth series win over their last 10 series. The O's over the weekend won two or three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's have the second best record in Major League Baseball. By the way, uh, I just said I will properly salute the Orioles. Let me now properly salute the D.C. Defenders. Uh, very good season with, yes, a very surprising ending, a 35-26 loss 
to the Arlington Renegades in the XFL Championship game at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas on Saturday night. Understand, the defenders in the XFL regular season went 9-1. and one. The Renegades in the regular season went 4-6. and six. And yet, the Renegades beat our defenders 35-26 in the XFL Championship game. But still, a good season was had by the defenders. Uh, although, boy, uh, our former Skins assistant head coach in charge of defense, Greg Williams, G-R-E-double-G, Greg Williams. Uh, he is the defensive coordinator for the defenders. Uh, things did not go so well for old G-R-E-double-G and his defenders on Saturday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tons of feedback on the big news of the announcement on Friday afternoon of the sale and purchase agreement between the Snyder and the Josh Harris group. Tweet from Michael Riggin. I'm screaming like Mel in Braveheart. <laughs> uh, tweet from Michael Apfeldorf. Our long national nightmare is over. Uh, tweet from Rob Kilmer. For fans, it's like being released from prison for a crime you didn't commit. <laughs> I like that analogy. Uh, tweet from Todd. Happy Thanksgiving, Al. Yes, Todd. Happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, thank you, Danny. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, tweet from Monkey Wisdom. Feels like getting the divorce papers in the mail. A lot to process, and it's finally real. Uh, tweet from James Drennan. Finally, free at last. Now build a new stadium at RFK. Uh, we shall see about that, James. A tweet from Robert. Let's truly have a fresh start and say goodbye to the handpicked Snyder name. Uh, tweet from Mike. Hire competent football people and let them pick the staff and front office. Uh, tweet from Lee Walker. Where is the parade? Good question, Lee. Uh, tweet from Tony on Dan Snyder. <laughs> and away he goes. Uh, yes, Tony, well done. A nice modified version of uh, the catchphrase opening line for this podcast. Uh, email from Joel Charney, writes Joel, Al, I've listened to you since you first hit the airwaves on 980, two plus decades ago. I know how much Friday's announcement means to you. The long nightmare is just about over. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for that, Joel. But uh, the announcement on Friday afternoon, of course, means a lot to so many people. Uh, guarantees nothing in terms of future success for the team. We all get that. But it would be very very hard for the Josh Harris ownership of the team to be worse than the Dan Snyder ownership of the team. I get a kick out of the people, the uh, Debbie Downers, who say, hey, Harris could be worse than Snyder. Uh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I'll take my chances, okay? How about that? I'll take my chances with Josh Harris over Dan Snyder. Well, if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, just as we as Washington fans have been harmed by the ownership of the Danny, uh, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and Nace was founded in 1979, uh, rose to prominence during the glory days of the skins in the 1980s and early 1990s. Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are Washington, D.C., born and bred. Uh, I know that they're thrilled about the sale of the team, and they want you to know that if you have a case, contact 
Paulson and Nace. The law firm of Paulson and Nace is ready to fight for you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C. based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides a passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. How about this? Two verdicts against Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yes, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, just last July, Bradley versus the United States of America. Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. So this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So here's the question. Which date is the date that we moving forward should most honor in terms of Dan Snyder selling the commanders? Uh, We have November 2nd. Uh, November 2nd was when uh, we got the shocking announcement, the statement from the commanders confirming a report from Forbes earlier that morning that the team's co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, were exploring a sale of the team that they had, quote, hired B of A Securities to consider potential transactions, end quote. Uh, We have April 13th. Uh, April 13th was when we had multiple reports that Dan Snyder had agreed to sell the team to a group led by Josh Harris for $6.05 billion, although the reports did say that the agreement was not exclusive and it was not signed, meaning that another bidder still could buy the team. Uh, Now we have May 12th, uh, this past Friday afternoon, May 12th. Uh, That was when a formal joint announcement from Dan and Tanya Snyder and from Josh Harris on behalf of the Harris Ownership Group announcing that Harris had entered into an agreement by which he would purchase the commanders. And keep in mind that what still must happen is the finalizing of the sale, the voting on the sale by all 32 NFL ownerships. A minimum of 24 votes is needed for the sale to be approved. Uh, Ain't nobody credible at this point who is doubting whether the sale will pass the vote. So we have November 2nd, we have April 13th, we have May 12th, 
and we have whenever the sale is finalized. This is kind of like getting married when you think about this. Uh, you have when you met the person who you ended up marrying. You have when you went on the first date with the person who you ended up marrying. Uh, you have when you got engaged to the person who you ended up marrying. And you have when you actually got married to that person. Take your pick among those dates as to which one matters the most. Same with the sale of the commanders. But the bottom line is that the sale is happening. The sale be happening. Uh, what was unthinkable just six and a half months ago now is officially in place. You no longer have any reason to wonder whether Dan Snyder is actually truly selling the team. You no longer have any reason to wonder whether Dan might only sell a minority stake in the team. Uh, yes, there have been some concerns about the, shall we say, complexities of the financing of the Josh Harris Group. And we talked about those complexities on last Thursday's show, episode 570 with sports business insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. But I don't think that this announcement on Friday afternoon would have been made if there wasn't supreme confidence that this sale is going through. And note that per multiple reports, this agreement that was announced on Friday afternoon is a signed and exclusive agreement. What is especially notable about the timing of the announcement on Friday afternoon is that the announcement came just hours after yet another major report from ESPN on Dan Snyder. ESPN senior writers Don Van Nata Jr. and Seth Wickersham, they co-authored a piece that came out on Friday afternoon. Headline, quote, sources, Dan Snyder seeks to limit release of inquiry report, end quote. The crux of the report was that Dan wants the NFL to limit the release of the Mary Jo White report. Yeah, the uh, Mary Jo White investigation. Remember that thing, uh, quote, Dan Snyder and his lawyers are lobbying the NFL to limit the release of attorney Mary Jo White's report into sexual misconduct allegations and financial improprieties against the embattled Washington commander's owner, sources told ESPN. While there are ongoing questions about legal indemnification for Snyder and procedural hurdles around vetting the bidding group led by Philadelphia 76ers co-owner Josh Harris, the contents of White's report and whether it's released in its entirety and when are among the final major stumbling blocks to a sale of the team for $6.05 billion, the sources said. Snyder's main leverage is time to try to drag out the process, sources said. It's the main remaining issue, a source close to Snyder told ESPN. A commander spokesperson called ESPN's reporting for this story completely false and a blatant fabrication by someone with no actual knowledge of this matter. An NFL spokesperson declined comment. A source with firsthand knowledge of White's inquiry told ESPN that it appears her work is all but done and that in the past several weeks, White has conducted the final round of interviews with key witnesses. As a result, conversations between Snyder's lawyers, league lawyers, and executives over the release of her investigation's findings have intensified, end quote. Uh, that Dan Snyder would be lobbying the NFL to limit the release of the Mary Jo White report is, of course, uh, not surprising. But how about that ESPN report coming out on Friday in the 1 p.m. Eastern hour, and then out of nowhere, this joint announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris coming out on Friday in the 4 p.m. Eastern hour. Interesting timing, to say the least. Maybe it was coincidental. Then again, maybe not. 
Here's something else that's interesting in terms of the timing of the announcement. So Friday was May 12th. Why is that significant? Well, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Commander's Insider, Ben Standing of The Athletic, uh, he on March 19th came out with a piece in which he reported that the commanders were delaying signing bonus payments for new contracts more than normal. For instance, the contract extension for interior defensive lineman Deron Payne, uh, which was signed on March 13th, was to have its first payment by, wait for it, May 12th, as opposed to the usual 15 to 30 days after the signing of the contract. Uh, And that certainly seemed to be a sign that a sale of the commanders was happening. Because if you're Dan Snyder, why make bonus payments that you can delay and have the next owner of the team pay instead of you? Uh, Again, May 12th. Perhaps that was coincidence. Then again, maybe not. But whatever the case, uh, the formal joint announcement on Friday afternoon, Dan and Tanya Snyder and Josh Harris on behalf of the Harris Ownership Group, The announcement began as follows, quote, the Washington commanders and a partnership led by Josh Harris have entered into a purchase and sale agreement. It was jointly announced on Friday, May 12th. The purchase and sale agreement calls for Harris and partners to acquire the Washington commanders from the Snyder family. The agreement is subject to NFL approval as well as the satisfaction of customary closing conditions, end quote. And within the announcement were statements attributed to Dan and Tanya Snyder and to Josh Harris. Uh, Dan's and Tanya's statement, quote, We are very pleased to have reached an agreement for the sale of the Commander's franchise with Josh Harris, an area native and his impressive group of partners. We look forward to the prompt completion of this transaction and to rooting for Josh and the team in the coming years. And quote, hey, Dan and Tanya will still be rooting for the team. Doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy? Uh, Josh Harris's statement was lengthy, in part because he, in his statement, formally announced those in the Harris ownership group. You know, we for weeks had been getting like drip by drip reports of who was in the Josh Harris group. Well, Josh Harris on Friday afternoon told us who was in the Harris group. Uh, The statement, quote, on behalf of our entire ownership group, including Mitch Rails, my longtime sports business partner, David Blitzer, and Irvin Magic Johnson, I want to express how excited we are to be considered by the NFL to be the next owners of the Washington Commanders and how committed we are to delivering a championship caliber franchise for this city and its fan base. Growing up in Chevy Chase, I experienced firsthand the excitement around the team, including its three Super Bowl victories and long-term winning culture. We look forward to the formal approval of our ownership by the NFL in the months ahead and to having the honor to serve as responsible and accountable stewards of the Commander's franchise moving forward. Thank you to Tanya and Dan Snyder and the staff of the Commanders for their partnership and cooperation throughout the sale process. In addition to Mitch, David, and Magic, our extraordinary ownership group includes local business leader Mark Ein, Lee Ainsley, Eric Holloman, Michael Lee, owner of Range Group, the Morgan family, owners of Morgan Properties, the Santo Domingo family, Michael Sapir, or Sapper, last name is spelled S-A-P-I-R, co-founder and CEO of ProShares, Eric Schmidt, former Google CEO and executive chair, and Andy Snyder, amongst others. Together, these individuals and families have the collective resources and shared commitment to support our vision for the commanders. 
We look forward to running a world-class organization and making significant investments on and off the field to achieve excellence and have a lasting and positive impact on the community, end quote. So much (laughs) to like in that statement, but how about that last sentence? Let that sink in, quote, we look forward to running a world-class organization and making significant investments on and off the field to achieve excellence and have a lasting and positive impact on the community, end quote. That last sentence should be the guiding mantra for the Josh Harris ownership group. Uh, There were a number of other statements that came out on Friday in response to the announcement from the Snyders and Josh Harris. Uh, Commander's limited partner and NBA legend Irvin Magic Johnson tweeted out a statement, quote, I could not be more excited to be a partner in the proposed new ownership group for the Washington Commanders. Josh Harris has assembled an amazing group who share a commitment to not only doing great things on the field, but to making a real impact in the DMV community. I'm so excited to get to work on executing our vision for the commanders and our loyal fan base, end quote. Uh, Commander's limited partner and Washington Castles owner Mark Ein tweeted out in a statement, quote, honor of a lifetime to partner with Josh Harris, one of my best lifelong friends from when we first met in kindergarten at Rolling Wood Elementary School in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and another dear friend, Mitch Rails, to buy our hometown team The Commanders can't wait to help make the team as beloved throughout our DMV community as it was when I had my best childhood memories going to games with my dad as a little boy. And quote, legendary former Redskins head coach Joe Gibbs, he put out a statement. Now, uh, Coach Joe is not in the Josh Harris group, but Coach Joe does have a relationship with Josh Harris. Quote, I've had the opportunity to get to know Josh Harris and the leadership team during this process and fully support his efforts to lead the new ownership group of the commanders. The NFL has grown a great deal since my time as a coach in this league, but what hasn't changed is my belief that with great leadership from the top, the drive to win on the field and a commitment to culture, championship teams are created. Josh and his team share these values, and I am committed to doing what I can to reconnect this great franchise, to the community, fan base, and alumni, end quote. Interesting that Joe Gibbs in that statement acknowledges the need to reconnect the franchise to the community, fan base, and alumni. But how about that? Joe Jackson Gibbs, the single most important person in the history of the franchise, perhaps the single most important person in the history of Washington, D.C. sports, that guy providing a ringing endorsement of the Josh Harris group. Really smart, by the way, for Josh Harris to forge a connection with Coach Joe. Uh, A big-time public relations win. So the NFL Spring League meeting is scheduled for May 22nd through the 24th in Minneapolis. Uh, NFL owners at this Spring League meeting voting on the sale of the commanders is possible, but at least right now appears to be unlikely. And that's just fine. Uh, The NFL can always call another meeting or just call a vote and have the sale voted on then. June, maybe July, appears to be when the sale will be finalized. But the sale is happening. This is done. It is over. This agreement between Dan Snyder and Josh Harris is official, jointly announced on Friday afternoon. You know, it would be something 
if the sale did get finalized on, say, the final day of the Spring League meeting, May 24th, because it was on May 25th, 1999, that NFL owners voted unanimously, by the way, to approve the sale of the Washington Redskins to a group led by a 34-year-old named Daniel M. Snyder. And that approval came more than two years after longtime Skins owner Jack Kent Cook passed away at the age of 84. And the approval ended a nine-month sale process that began with a blind auction. Dan paid $800 million for the team at what was then known as Jack Kent Cook Stadium. I mean, think about that. Dan bought the team for $800 million. Dan is selling the team for $6.05 billion. Even when you adjust for inflation, that is quite a profit that Danny Boy is making. I am not going to do some big recap of all of the bad that happened during the Dan Snyder era. We have spent the last 24 years experiencing all of that bad. We don't need to do some history lesson. Uh, The controversies, the scandals, the investigations, the public relations screw-ups, all too many to count. Dan owned the team for 24 seasons. The team made the playoffs in just six of those seasons. That's it. Six playoff appearances over 24 seasons. 18 out of the 24 seasons were non-playoff seasons. That is pathetic. Uh, The team over the 24 seasons notched a mere two playoff wins. And keep in mind that one of the playoff appearances and one of the playoff wins came in Dan's first season as owner of the team, the 1999 season. Uh, Dan had just bought the team in late May of that year. So you could very much argue that the achievements of the 1999 season shouldn't even go on the account of Dan Snyder. Uh, The decline of the Washington NFL franchise over these last 24 years in terms of the -the on-the-field product and attendance and business success and public perception Uh, treatment of employees. Never had to happen, okay? All of these declines never had to happen. Like I said, Dan Snyder was 34. He was 34 when he bought the skins. He could have owned the team for 50, 60, 70 years, acted like a normal person, done a great job, and gone down as one of the greatest figures in Washington, D.C. sports history. Instead, he blew it, okay? Bottom line, he blew it. He choked. He ended up owning the team for just 24 years, and he goes down as one of the single most reviled people in Washington, D.C. history. Never mind D.C. sports history, D.C. history, period. What I am as encouraged by as anything regarding Josh Harris, and also regarding the number two guy in the Harris group, Mitchell Rails, is that these guys appear to be smart and decent people, okay? I mean, as simple as that sounds, smart and decent people. Doesn't mean that they'll be great NFL owners, okay? We shall see. But you in anything in life have a greater chance for success with people who are smart and decent than you do with people who aren't smart and aren't decent. Uh, Harris and Rails have had immense success in business and have very good reputations. Harris, of course, already has extensive experience as a big-time pro sports owner, with him being the managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the managing partner of the New Jersey Devils. And this guy, Mitchell Rails, did you see this from NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB via a tweet on Saturday morning? Quote, one thing to know that I've gathered from other owners, Mitchell Rails is a very real figure here and has the financial wherewithal to be primary owner. 
considering Rails' business acumen, that the NFL gets both he and Josh Harris in the fold is considered a big win, end quote. Make no mistake, Mitchell Rails is a very key figure in all of this, and that's why I had the great Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, on this podcast, episode 547. Uh, Howard Gutman on that installment of the podcast, tremendous stuff on Mitchell Rails. Uh, The ambassador is uh, very good friends with and is a strategic advisor for Rails. Uh, But the lead guy, the lead dog in the commander's new ownership, of course, will be Josh Harris. Uh, Harris, as managing partner of the Sixers and managing partner of the Devils, is known to spend on infrastructure, hire good people, and get out of their way. And all of that is what I want from Harris with the commanders. Spend on infrastructure, hire good people, and get out of their way. Hire excellent people to run football operations and business operations, and then let those people excel. Every single employee of the commanders should be on notice, some more than others, okay? But every single employee of the commanders should be on notice and should be of the mindset of, I need to prove myself to the new ownership. Head coach Ron Rivera, absolutely on notice. Team president Jason Wright, absolutely on notice. They have a lot to prove. Make them prove it or get rid of them. Uh, We will have plenty of time to talk about the specifics, you know, the new stadium, yes, the name, and everything else. But ultimately, what excites me the most about Dan Snyder selling the commanders is that for the first time in a long time, the team being great again doesn't seem so far-fetched. I have lived in the Washington, D.C. area my entire life. I was born in Georgetown University Hospital. Uh, My dad went to medical school at Georgetown. Uh, I went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland. I went to the University of Maryland in College Park. I got into the sports talk radio business with WTEM, what is now the Team 980. I started there as an intern at the age of 18, Uh, Started as a producer at the age of 19, started as an on-air talent at the age of 22. I have seen and experienced this team up close and personal. Like so many of you, I am well aware of what the Washington NFL team, the NFL team that I have rooted for and followed for my entire life as a sports fan has been. I am a child of the 80s and early 90s. I experienced the skins being great. Now, I'm too young to remember the early portion of the glory days, but I experienced the back half of the glory days. And I know that so many of you uh, experienced the entirety of the glory days. Uh, So many of you know exactly what I'm talking about here. The glory days, right? 1982 through 1992, an incredible 11 season run by the Skins, a run that produced three Super Bowl titles, four NFC championships, and eight playoff appearances. If you were in the Washington, D.C. area during that time, you know how big of a deal the Skins were and how proud we all were of the team. I remember there being vendors at street corners in the area selling Skins t-shirts and merchandise during the team's Super Bowl seasons. Uh, I would be in the car on the way to school and would see these vendors on street corners selling skins gear. I remember the conversation about the team and how that conversation had none of the snark, none of the sarcasm, none of the cynicism that the conversation about the team has had for decades now. Uh, Now, of course, the NFL is a lot different now as compared to then. 
uh, our world is a lot different now as compared to then. But I do believe, I very much believe that the team can be that great again and can be the powerful, positive, unifying force that the team was back then. You know, the NFL is a bigger deal now than it was back then. And as much as fans of the team have been turned off by these last 24 years, uh, I do believe that sustained greatness by the team would bring a lot of those fans back. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And look, I get it, okay? (laughs) The team getting back to sustain greatness won't be easy and may not happen. Winning in the NFL is hard. Sustained winning in the NFL is very hard. But while nothing moving forward with our team is guaranteed, everything now is possible. And it feels great to say that. Well, with the sale of the Commanders, uh, there certainly is a lot to talk about on this podcast, as well as on at WSH on the daily on Instagram. Yes, at WSH on the daily on IG. Uh, On the Daily just started in 2021 and yet has over 21,000 followers. And On the Daily is literally daily. Uh, The page is updated every day. News, notes, reports, photos, graphics. Uh, This is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information. Doesn't just, you know, post anything that anyone says. Uh, On the Daily on Instagram is a great place at which you can converse with other Commanders fans regarding the team, uh, the draft, free agency, trades. Uh, On the Daily responds to every single DM. On the Daily is a page at which you can have fun. Lots of creativity with jersey swaps and unique graphics and the contest name that Redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday, which is when On The Daily gives out free wallpaper that you can use on your phone. Uh, And On The Daily always has a great fresh look. If you're on Instagram, check out at WSH On The Daily for smart, informative, fun, and engaging Commander's content. Check out at WSH On The Daily on Instagram. A big help is if you subscribe to rate and review this podcast. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, A subscription to the pod does not cost you anything and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, Also, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two, can be more, but uh, doesn't have to be. Uh, but thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Uh, all right. So we on Friday afternoon got the formal joint announcement from Commander's co-owners and co-CEOs Dan and Tanya Snyder and from Josh Harris on behalf of the Harris Ownership Group proclaiming that uh, Harris has entered into an agreement by which he will purchase the Commanders. But earlier on Friday afternoon, we heard from Commanders head coach Ron Rivera via a press conference as the team's rookie minicamp was taking place. Uh, (laughs) It seems almost silly to be talking actual Commanders football, given the monumental news of the sale of the team. But we do have football to discuss. And there were a few things that Ron said that to me were notable. Uh, It's interesting that this press conference happened before the news of the agreement between Dan Snyder and Josh Harris. So the press conference happened before the team's rookie minicamp practice on Friday. Normally, Ron Rivera pressers on practice days happen after practices. Although 
The team held a walkthrough on Friday, too. Uh, Ron's presser happened between the walkthrough and the actual practice. So it may just be coincidence that this Ron presser happened prior to the announcement, as opposed to the presser being strategically placed before the announcement so that Ron uh, would not have to answer a bunch of questions about the sale of the team. But who knows? Uh, The timing of the announcement of the agreement between Dan Snyder and Josh Harris was odd. I mean, the agreement came out in the 4 p.m. Eastern hour on Friday. Uh, The 4 p.m. Eastern hour on Friday is a classic news dump time. That is when you put stuff out that you want to bury. Uh, Anyway, a few things from Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon that stuck out to me. So the second question that Ron got asked was about the man who the team took with the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft, Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, We know the deal with Forbes. The guy in college was an interception machine. Uh, Forbes over three seasons at Mississippi State 2020 through 2022 generated 14 interceptions in 36 games. He left college number one among active FBS players in career interceptions, and he left college as the FBS's all time leader in career pick sixes with six. Rod Rivera on Friday afternoon on particularly impressive interceptions that he has seen from Emmanuel Forbes. There was there was a couple of um, coverages that, that I sat there and, and did go back on a couple of times to that point. One of them was he, he went into a hinge technique and, and basically what he did was put himself in to, to, to be able to play the high, the low. And the ball was thrown to the high, and he was able to turn. And with that burst of his, you know, that speed and that length, he was able to tip the ball out of bounds. So you could see that, and that was one of the things that caught my attention. Then another one was when he jumped a route. You know, a quick slant on the inside, was able to beat the receiver to the spot and make the interception. I mean, it's, it's, those are the kind of things that, you know, the great anticipation. Um, but then you kind of wonder where it comes from. Um, I was sitting behind him and watching him, you know, in, 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 in meetings. And then I, I was sitting back watching him during the walkthrough today. And uh, and then I watched him with Coach Wiesemeyer as uh, as he was Coach was explaining something to him, and you can see how attentive he was. Um, you know, and the questions he was asked, he was asking, I thought were were were, were really well thought out. So there's some things that you know kind of lead to why I think or I believe that's why he has uh, he makes those kind of plays because those little detail things I think don't get away from him. Yeah, so Coach Wieselmeyer is the commander's defensive backs coach. Brent Wieselmeyer, who was promoted from assistant defensive backs coach and nickel coach. We on this podcast have spoken with a variety of people about Emmanuel Forbes, including former Redskins general manager Scott McLuhan on episode 567 and former Mississippi State quarterback and current Mississippi State radio analyst Matt Wyatt on episode 565. And both of those guys said that Forbes isn't a gambler, that him getting all of these picks was not the result of him taking chances that if they did not work out would have resulted in him getting burned. Interceptions can be fluky and random, no doubt, but there are defensive backs who play with the anticipation and vision and intellect to where they produce sizable interception totals, and Forbes would appear to be one of those guys. Uh, I mentioned my chat with Scott McLuhan. He had a second-round grade on the guy who the commanders took in the sixth round of the 2023 draft, Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. 
Uh, he is a physical, punishing, between-the-tackles runner. Not the speedy, explosive play-producing back who you might have expected the commanders to target with Eric Bieniemy now being the team's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. But Ron Rivera, in his joint post-draft press conference with General Manager Martin Mayhew on April 29th said that Eric Bieniemy is very high on Chris Rodriguez Jr. And Rod on Friday afternoon reiterated this. Uh, this was Ron on what he was looking for at running back going into the 2023 draft. Well, I, I would I would say we were, we were looking for a back that fit what we wanted to do and the way we wanted to do it. I, I know Eric really liked Christopher, so that was that was one of the pluses for when he was available when we were picking. Um, secondly, I, I, I still liked what we saw as far as the growth was concerned with Antonio. You know, I'd like to see Antonio get a few more tries, obviously, last year. But, you know, Antonio's shown tremendous growth, and we're pretty excited about who he could be. You know, this is a guy that played wide receiver at one time, coming out, and one thing that he did have was every nine touches resulted in a touchdown. So we're, we're looking for some production from him as well, and we're looking to see that he does fit in, into the scheme of things as far as what Eric Bianami wants to do with the offense. Interesting to hear Ron Rivera in that answer make it a point to sing the praises of running back Antonio Gibson. This coming season is the fourth and final season of Gibson's rookie contract off him having been taken in the third round of the 2020 draft. He has been a solid player for Washington, but he has not been the dynamic dual threat weapon that we were hoping he'd be. Uh, He for Memphis, of course, was a combo running back receiver. He for Washington really hasn't had much of an impact as a pass catcher. Now, uh, no doubt the team's problems at quarterback have had something uh, to do with that. But if Gibson is ever going to be the great multi-purpose weapon that we were hoping he would be, you would think that this coming season would be the season in which we would see him bust out as a multi-purpose weapon, given that this coming season is a contract season for him, and given that Eric Bieniemy now is coordinating the offense. Uh, while we are discussing Eric Bieniemy, uh, his arrival has meant change. Take a listen to this. Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon on some changes with Eric Bieniemy running the team's offense. Well, I think one of the biggest things, obviously, is I just felt we needed to do some things different. You know, we, we needed to, to evolve, and, and uh, I think with the way with the playmakers we have, we had to find other ways to, to, to get the ball to their hands quickly. What, what I really appreciate has been the approach and the way you know he does things. Um, what we've done too is, is, is you know he and I have sat down and we've talked about some of the structure um, and a couple of things. One is how will we do things? Um, and one of the things that really struck me was in his uh, is his press conference was he talked about learning to be comfortable when you're uncomfortable. And as he and I talked and I listened to some of the things that, that he was interested in doing, I thought to myself, you know, that, that, that's a heck of a deal right there. I mean, we're, we're, we will stress our offensive guys to adapt and learn, but at the same time, our defensive guys are going to have to adapt and learn as well because they'll be practicing in a whole different fashion as well. So that was something that I really felt um, as he and I discussed things in the last uh, month and a half that I felt needed to be done. And that was all part of when I talked about when I first introduced to you guys, him to you guys. You guys asked me what would he, is some of his duties be. Well, that's part of it. Has been to help me plan and structure the way we want to do things um, during OTAs, mini camps, and going forward into in, into training camp, as well as when we get into the regular season. I wanted to see, you know, if we do some things different. I mean, I'd been in the same system doing things a specific way, and I felt 
the shakeup is, is 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 good. It's good for me as well. It, it, it's a whole different approach. Um, one of the things that he did differently, and I think he adapted a little bit of, of what what they had done in Kansas City under Andy. And again, I was fortunate enough to coach for Andy as well, and so I knew, you know, I had a lot of trust in, in what EB was talking about. Uh, we restructured the way the offensive line is. Uh, I'm assuming the offensive coaching staff is going to be structured. You know, we 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 we've moved some guys around to to, to a couple of different positions, uh, over a couple of positions to, to so they can you know help the younger coaches that we've elevated as well. And a big part of it is for EB, it gives him you know channels of communication. I mean, he could work directly with who now are, you know, the tight end coach and the offensive line coach, but he can also go to Coach Castillo and, and work with him directly as well and get – so he's getting a different perspective from all those guys. And then, you know, he can talk with Kenny Zampezi about what, you know, Kenny's seeing and, and, and when, you know, he may have Kenny go over and hang out with the wide receivers for a little bit and tell, hey, Kenny, I want you to look for this, or Kenny, what did you see? You know, not that he's looking over anybody's shoulder, but it's an extra set of eyes because EB can't be at all of those stations at one time. He now has two sets of eyes that are somewhere close to all those other stations, and he can get immediate feedback. I thought that was a that was a heck of an idea, and it was a you know something that I felt could be very beneficial to him as well. All right, I thought that that was pretty interesting. Ron Rivera admitting that some new ideas with the offense and with the offensive coaching were needed. Uh, and yes, <laughs> they were. But a lot of what Ron just talked about right there with Eric Bieniemy was head coaching type stuff from Bieniemy. His title with the Commanders isn't just offensive coordinator. Uh, his title with the Commanders is assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. And we know the deal with why Bieniemy is here. He is here to get himself an NFL head coaching job. Eric Bieniemy is not here because it has been his lifelong dream to coach for Washington, okay? No, he's here because he wants an NFL head coaching job. He reportedly is interviewed for 16 NFL head coaching jobs with 15 teams. He has not gotten a single one of those head coaching jobs. O for 16. Uh, he spent the last 10 seasons as an offensive assistant for the Kansas City Chiefs, including the last five seasons as a team's offensive coordinator. The Chiefs had tremendous offensive success during the enemy's time with the team, and yet he is 0 for 16 on NFL head coaching jobs. He needed to shake things up, and so he joined the Commanders, and he for them is shaking things up if you go by what Ron Rivera said on Friday afternoon. Uh, Washington has had a bad offense in each of the last five seasons, 2018 through 2022. I am all for the team changing things on offense. I mean, what do you have to lose when you think about it, right? Uh, one more thing from Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon. He highlighted one of the team's undrafted free agents, UCLA receiver Casimir Allen. Uh, Kazmir Allen at the UCLA Pro Day on March 15th measured as being just 5'8 and 3 eighths of an inch. Uh, he is a Curtis Samuel type receiver, a combo receiver running back. Allen for UCLA over the 2021 and 2022 seasons combined for 23 carries for 296 yards and three touchdowns. That works out to a yards per carry of 12.87 and he can be dynamic as a returner. Uh, Rod Rivera on Friday afternoon on what he's thinking regarding kickoff and punt returners. Well, there are a couple guys out there, but one of the more notable names, and I'm going to have to look it up and so I can say it properly, but he's a young man we got out of UCLA. Uh, UCLA. Uh, he'll wear number 10 out there, Alan Casimir. 
he played some slot for them, some wide receiver for them, um, some uh, some uh, running back for them, and then he returned both kickoffs and punts for them, and he did them in the bowl game, in the uh, in the All Star games as well. So he's a young man that most certainly has gotten our attention, and he's a young guy, young guy that we went out and and, and tried to make sure we were able to recruit and bring him in as a uh, as a signed uh, free agent. Yeah, so uh, Ron Rivera, as he has done with our friend Bumi Rotimi, <laughs> saying the last name of Kazmir Allen before saying the first name. Did you catch that? The guy's name is Kazmir Allen. The first name is spelled K-A-Z-M-E-I-R, pronounced Kazmir. But Ron, in that cut that I just played for you, called him Allen Kazmir. Here you go. Uh, he'll wear number 10 out there, Allen Kazmir. <laughs> yes, Alan Casimir. No, Ron, the dude's name is Casimir Allen. But this is exactly what Ron did with edge defender Bumi Rotimi. Do you remember that guy? Now, he's no longer on the team. Uh, Washington initially signed Bumi Rotimi as an unrestricted free agent in July 2021. He's a local. He attended West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and then went to Old Dominion University. But Ron called Bumi Rotimi, Rotimi Bumi. Ron flip-flopped the first and last names. Here you go. Rotimi Bumi? Yeah, Rotimi Bumi. No, Ron. The guy's name is Bumi Rotimi. Uh, I guess that's a habit of Ron Rivera. When he has trouble saying a guy's name, Ron, for whatever reason, says the last name first and the first name last. Uh, oh, well, not a big deal. Just kind of funny. Uh, the commanders on Friday afternoon did announce the signings of three of the team's 2023 draft picks. A fifth round edge defender, KJ Henry, a sixth round running back, Chris Rodriguez Jr. and seventh round edge defender Andre Jones Jr., who had been said to be a linebacker, but the team is listing Jones as a defensive end. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Priceline. 
Well, it has happened again with our Nationals. Uh, it is a rain delay gone horribly wrong. <laughs> uh, it is hard to say how much this happens with other major league teams. It's also hard to say how much of these rain delays gone horribly wrong are on the Nats versus on Major League Baseball. But we do know this. What happened on Saturday was bad, and this was not the first time that something like this has happened at Nationals Park. Uh, the Nats over the weekend played the first three games of a four-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Is This is the rare four-game series that starts on a Friday and lasts through a Monday. Uh, game two of the series was a 3-2 Nats win in a rain-suspended game that started on Saturday and was finished on Sunday afternoon. And what happened on Saturday was a debacle. Uh, The game started on Saturday at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, just a few minutes after a steady rain began. Now, from that standpoint, there was some bad luck in all of this. There actually had not been that much rain at Nationals Park during the day up until this point, but rain was all over the forecast. And as the game went on, the condition of the field grew steadily worse to where a one-out double by the Mets' Michael Perez to center field in what ended up being a one-run Mets third was a joke. Uh, Perez and the Mets' runner on first base, the uh, rather hefty Daniel Vogelback, uh, ended up having to be super careful in running in the slop (laughs) that was the infield dirt. And that center fielder, Alex Call, who had broken in on the ball before running back, he ended up having to be super careful in running to get the ball. So then came a rain delay. And the rain delay ended up lasting for an interminable three hours, 56 minutes. Yes, three hours, 56 minutes, during which fans at Nationals Park were provided with few, if any, updates. But also during the rain delay was little actual rain after about two hours. But the game wasn't resuming. Now, the grounds crew kept working on the field, but the game wasn't resuming. And the fans continued to receive very little in the way of updates. And then finally, after that rain delay of, again, three hours, 56 minutes, the game was officially suspended. Uh, The entire situation was so bad, fans were furious and rightfully so. Nats manager Davey Martinez in a press conference on Saturday night actually apologized to Nats fans, but this was not on Davey to apologize. Uh, Now, again, how much of all of this was on the Nats versus how much of all of this was on MLB? Hard to say, but here's the deal. It is up to the home team whether to start a game. It is up to the crew chief for the umpiring crew whether to halt a game and it is up to MLB whether to resume a game. To me, all three parties deserve blame. The crew chief deserves blame for not halting play sooner, because had he halted play sooner, uh, the field would not have gotten soaked, would not have gotten drenched to the point to where the game had to be suspended. Uh, MLB deserves blame for not calling for the game to be suspended sooner, but the Nats deserve blame for doing an awful job of providing updates to fans. I don't kill the Nats for starting the game, but I do kill the Nats for not properly updating fans. How do you not keep fans? How do you not keep your paying customers properly updated, even if there isn't anything new to say? Over-communicate. Make sure that fans are hearing from you 
every, say, 15, 20 minutes, every 30 minutes at most. Uh, This was amateur hour. Anyway, uh, the Nats have lost two of the first three games of this series against the Mets. Uh, Friday night, a 3-2 loss. Saturday slash Sunday afternoon, a 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game. And then later on Sunday, an 8-2 loss. Uh, The Nats now are 17-23, 40 games into the team's 162-game regular season. Uh, The biggest bright spot for the Nats so far in this series is C.J. Abrams. Uh, He has been the Nats' starting shortstop in all three games. He had the 3-2 loss on Friday night as the Nats' number 8 batter went 0-4, for but he had a big day on Sunday. Four run-scoring hits. Abrams in that 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game as the Nats' number 9 batter. 2-4 for with a solo homer and an RBI single. Uh, Abrams in the Nats' one-run fourth, a two-out RBI single to right field for a 2-1 Nats lead, and Abrams in an Nats one-run seventh, a leadoff homer to center field for a 3-2 Nats lead, and the homer was a big boy homer, a 411 feet for StatCast. And then Abrams in the 8-2 loss on Sunday as an Nats number eight batter uh, went two for four with an RBI double and an RBI single. Uh, Abrams in an Nats one-run second, a two-out RBI double off the right field wall off former Nats ace Max Scherzer on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Nats lead. Uh, Now, the double did come on a fly ball that was poorly played by Mets right fielder Starling Marte, but an RBI double off Max Scherzer is an RBI double off Max Scherzer. Uh, And then Abrams in an Nats one-run eighth, a two-out opposite field RBI single to left field to cut the Nats' deficit to 8-2. C.J. Abrams' overall offensive numbers for this regular season are not pretty. OPS of just 690, but he is number one on the Nats in RBI with 21, and he, with runners in scoring position, has done pretty well. OPS of 778. Uh, I mentioned the ex-Nat, Max Scherzer. Uh, He and the Nats' 8-2 loss on Sunday was back from neck spasms. uh, One run in five innings, six strikeouts. Uh, The Nats' hitting over the first three games of this series has been so-so. Bottom line, the Nats have totaled just seven runs over the first three games of the series. Uh, Joey Manessis has been doing pretty well. Still isn't hitting for power, but he is continuing to produce singles, including RBI singles. Uh, Manessis in a 3-2 loss on Friday night as the Nats starting DH and number four batter, one for four with an RBI single. Uh, Manessis in the 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game as an Nats starting DH and number three batter, one for four with an RBI single. And Manessis in the 8-2 loss on Sunday as an Nats starting DH and number three batter, one for four with an infield single and a walk. Uh, Joey Manessis for this 2023 regular season, a slugging percentage of just 364. That's really bad. Again, he's not hitting for power, but he does have a batting average of 285. Uh, That's good. Uh, Two other notable offensive performances for the Nats in this series so far. Kibert Ruiz in the 3-2 win in the uh, rain-suspended game as the Nats starting catcher and number four batter, two for four with a double and a single. And Luis Garcia in the 8-2 loss on Sunday as the Nats starting second baseman and number two batter, three for five with three singles. Uh, As for the Nats pitching over the first three games of this four-game series against the Mets, uh, three strange outings for the Nats starting pitchers in this series. Uh, Mackenzie Gore in the 3-2 loss on Friday night, a very bizarre outing. Uh, He did not allow a run, but he lasted for just four innings. Uh, Why? (laughs) Because he, over those four scoreless innings, threw an astounding 96 pitches. Yeah, 96 pitches over four innings, Uh, although, again, they were four shutout innings. Uh, He threw 58 strikes versus 
38 balls. He gave up five hits, but all of them were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. Uh, Pitch efficient, he was not, but I give him credit for not allowing any runs. I mean, Gore in the top of the first somehow did not allow a run despite allowing three consecutive batters to reach base with two outs, including issuing back-to-back two-out walks of Pete Alonso and Tommy Pham to load the bases. Gore in that first inning threw a whopping 37 pitches and ultimately, like I said, 96 pitches over the four innings. But again, they were four scoreless innings. Uh, Trevor Williams, he in the 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game, was charged with one run in two and a third innings for his work in the uh, Saturday portion of the game, which was suspended during the third inning. And then Jake Irvin in the 8-2 loss on Sunday, six runs in four and two-thirds innings, but there was a lot more to his outing than just those numbers. He tossed four scoreless innings before being charged with the six runs in what ended up being an eight-run fifth for the Mets. Yeah, eight runs in the fifth inning. Uh, Irvin, in the eight-run fifth, gave up a double, three singles, a walk, and a hit-by-pitch. There was some bad luck. I mean, one of the singles was a brutal two-out opposite-field RBI infield single by Francisco Lindor on what was a swinging bunt to the left side of the infield for a 3-1 Mets lead. Uh, Irvin, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 90 pitches, 56 strikes versus 34 balls. But he, over his four and two-thirds innings, also had six strikeouts. You can't say that he was good. I mean, again, six runs in four and two-thirds innings, but he wasn't as bad as the six runs in four and two-thirds innings would suggest. I like what we're seeing from Jake Urban overall. He was coming off a really impressive outing. 5-1 win at the San Francisco Giants this past Monday night in what was just his second major league regular season start. He became just the second Nat starting pitcher to pitch into the seventh inning of a game in this regular season. Six and a third scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Sunday evening on Jake Urban's start against the Mets. Lost the strike zone there for for a minute. Um, ball started getting up on him a little bit. You know, I just started squaring some balls up. But on that, you know, the first first four innings, he was really 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 good. Um, you know, I think you know he just got uh, started getting a little bit ahead of himself. Um, but you know, I, I still thought he, he did well in the one inning. No, it's 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 a learning experience, you know. He understands hey, when the game, like I always say, when the game becomes a high leverage situation, got to be able to control your heartbeat, slow everything down, um, and understand what you're trying to do. You know, he's he's been good since he's been here. So I said, don't let that affect what you're doing. I mean, you've been you've been really good. So um, you know, work out some things in the bullpen and get you back out there in five days. Yeah, all right. Uh, Now to the Nats bullpen. Uh, Three key relievers for the Nats are struggling right now to varying degrees. First of all, Coral Edwards Jr. Uh, So he, in a 3-2 loss on Friday night, faced three batters and got just one out. He came into the game in the top of the sixth with runners on second and third, two outs, and the Nats holding a 2-0 lead. He issued a five-pitch walk of Brandon Nimmo to load the bases and then gave up a two-out full count, bases loaded, three-run single by Francisco Lindor to right center field for a 3-2 Mets lead. And then the 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game. Edwards, in what ended up being a one-run Mets seventh, faced three batters and got just one out. He gave up a one-out full-count single by Michael Perez through the right side of the infield and then gave up a one-out double by Brandon Nemo toward the right field corner. Carl Edwards Jr. has been really unreliable lately. But even worse has been Mason Thompson. What has happened to Mason Thompson? Thompson 
in the 8-2 loss on Sunday, a disaster in what ended up being that eight-run fifth inning for the Mets. Uh, He, in the inning, faced four batters and got just one out. He entered the game in the top of the fifth with the bases loaded, two outs, and the Nats down 3-1. He, to the first batter he faced, issued a one-out, four-pitch, bases-loaded walk of Brett Beatty for a 4-1 Mets lead. Then Thompson gave up a one-out, two-run single by Starling Marte on, yes, some bad luck. I'll be fair to Thompson here. A fly ball uh, to no man's land in shallow center field for a 6-1 Mets lead. Although that did happen on an 0-2 pitch, which should have been a put-away pitch. Uh, Then catcher Riley Adams committed a two-out throwing error in throwing to second base on a stolen base by Marte, allowing Beatty to score for a 7-1 Mets lead. And then Thompson gave up a two-out RBI single by Mark Canna up the middle on a 1-2 pitch for an 8-1 Mets lead. Mason Thompson had been excellent for the Nats this season, but he now, over his last six games, has allowed nine runs in three and two-thirds innings. He has an injury history. I would be surprised if there isn't something physically wrong with him, uh, because, man, he really has fallen off a cliff over these last few weeks. And then Kyle Finnegan. Uh, so he in the 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game did get the save, but he again had problems. Uh, Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the ninth despite giving up back-to-back two-out singles. So he gave up a two-out opposite field single off the bottom of the left center field wall by Michael Perez on a single that was played very well by center fielder Alex Call holding Perez to just a single. Uh, Finnegan then gave up a two-out opposite field single by Brandon Nimmo to left field on a 1-2 pitch. But Finnegan then induced a game-ending flyout by Jeff McNeil, although the flyout was the result of Alex Call making a very nice running backhanded catch on the left center field warning track while nearly running into the Nats left fielder Stone Garrett. This appearance was Finnegan's first since May 6th. Uh, when he, in an 8-7 walk-off loss at the Arizona Diamondbacks in the bottom of the ninth, blew the save opportunity. Uh, he, in that game, allowed two runs, recorded just one out in pitching for a fourth time in five days. So Carl Edwards Jr., Mason Thompson, Kyle Finnegan, uh, each guy having problems right now. Uh, there have been some good performances by Nats relievers in this series so far. Erasmo Ramirez, he, in the 3-2 loss on Friday night, a perfect top of the 7th and a perfect top of the 8th. And Ramirez, in the 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game, started the Sunday portion of the game. He officially tossed two and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Now, he did allow an inherited runner to score and did give up four hits, but all of the hits were singles. And he over 44 pitches through 32 strikes versus just 12 balls. Also, more good stuff from Hunter Harvey. Uh, Harvey in the 3-2 win in the rain-suspended game, one and two-thirds perfect innings. He did give up an RBI sack fly to allow an inherited runner to score, but he also struck out Pete Alonso swinging to begin the top of the eighth, despite Alonso being ahead in the count at one point, 3-0. Game four for the Nats against the Mets is on Monday afternoon at 4.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. All right, so the Orioles, like the Nationals, have arrived at what is essentially the quarter mark of the regular season, 40 games into the 162, and the O's are 26-14. and That is the second-best record in the majors. Uh, Not bad. The O's over the weekend won two or three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night, a 6-3 win as the O's overcame a 2-1 seventh inning deficit with five runs over the seventh and eighth innings, and yet another comeback win for the O's. Saturday night, a 2-0 win to clinch a ninth 
series victory in 10 series for the O's. Yeah, the O's have won nine of their last 10 series. Uh, Also with that game, by the way, O's bench coach Freddie Gonzalez served as the Orioles manager as uh, Brandon Hyde missed the game in order to attend his daughter's graduation from Syracuse. And then Sunday afternoon, a 4-0 loss to deny the O's a three-game sweep and end their four-game winning streak. But overall, how can you not be thrilled if you are an O's fan right now? Uh, This is a team on which both the Las Vegas oddsmakers and the analytics projections were down. And yet this team has the second best record in the majors. And the result is a really fun season so far, a season that now includes the Bird Bath Splash Zone. Are you aware of this? The Bird Bath Splash Zone. Uh, This series against the Pirates marked the debut of the Bird Bath Splash Zone, uh, which is the left field lower box, section 86 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The idea with the Bird Bath Splash Zone is for fans in the zone uh, to be sprayed with water after Orioles extra base hits, after Orioles doubles, triples, and home runs. Uh, This is being done as a play off the Orioles' uh, beer bong-styled Homer Hose dugout celebration for home runs. Uh, The Homer Hose earlier this season became a viral sensation. And so now we have the Bird Bath Splash Zone. Baseball is fun again in Baltimore. Uh, Now, the O's aren't drawing particularly well, okay? But the team is a lot of fun. And things like the Homer Hose and the Bird Bath Splash Zone are a lot of fun. Uh, The O's and their two wins in this series got two excellent starting pitching performances. Uh, Kyle Bradish in Game 1 was great. He in the 6-3 win over the Pirates on Friday night. One run unearned in six innings with six strikeouts. Uh, He gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. Uh, He issued a walk and a wild pitch. And he threw a lot of strikes, 89 pitches, 61 strikes versus 28 balls. Uh, Bradish is not having a good season, but he on Friday night was quite good. Uh, Kyle Bradish in this 2023 regular season, six starts, ERA of 456. Then Tyler Wells on Saturday night. What a job. 2 nothing win over the Pirates on Saturday night. Wells, seven scoreless innings with eight strikeouts. He gave up just one hit, one hit, which was a single. Uh, He issued two walks. He threw 96 pitches, 59 strikes versus 37 balls. This may surprise you, but Tyler Wells for this 2023 regular season is number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip, in walks plus hits divided by innings pitched, a whip of 0.7. He has been outstanding. He has been by far the Orioles' best starting pitcher so far this season. Wells for this regular season, eight games, including seven starts, an ERA of 268, and that uh, major league leading whip of 0.723. Here was Freddie Gonzalez during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on Tyler Wells. I think he just threw strikes, and and he had his secondary pitches. He threw over the over the over the plate, and he got some quick early outs uh, in the in the count. Um, I think this might have been one of his best outings, that, but uh, if not the best outing we've seen here in, from him in a long time. How much has he seen him grow this season? I've seen him grow almost every every start. You know, as a, the mentality of, of of being a starter and. You know, keep him want to stay in the game uh, as a starter. Keep him going out there and, the, the, you know, not satisfied by just throwing five or six innings. Want to go, want to get the ball in the seventh and, um, 
you know, this is is this nice to see from a young uh, a young starter some growth there. Freddie, his ERA is now down to 2.68, which we basically top 10 in the American League. You saw a little bit of this last year. Uh-huh. But if he can stay healthy, can he be one of the better pitchers in the American League? I think there's conversation, right? Uh, and, and we still got a long way to go. And he still has, I don't even know how many starts he has now, but he probably has another 20 in front of him. You know, and then, uh, but you know, why not? He's uh, he keeps getting better. Um, I think you know, last year those starts that that he got has catapulted him to to this year, and he's continued to get better and improve. And and now we just gotta, you know, you feel comfortable giving him the ball every fifth day. Yes, you do. And keep in mind what the Tyler Wells story is. He is a converted reliever who the O's took in a Rule Five draft. Uh, The O selected Wells from the Minnesota Twins in December 2020 in the 2020 Rule 5 draft. Uh, He, in the 2021 regular season, in 57 innings as a reliever, had an ERA of 411, uh, but did have a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.3. His season ended with him on the 10-day injured list due to right shoulder inflammation. And then Wells, in the 2022 regular season, 23 starts, a total of 103 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 425. Uh, He dealt with injury again, was on the 15-day injured list from July 28th, 2022 to September 7th. 2022 due to lower left side discomfort, and he ended the season on the 15-day injured list due to right shoulder inflammation. But so far, knock on wood, he has stayed healthy, and he has been really good. Well, so far this season is killing it. Uh, The O's did get a rough outing from Kyle Gibson in Game 3. Gibson in the 4-0 loss to the Pirates on Sunday afternoon, four runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, although all of them were singles, so there was some bad luck involved in him giving up four runs in five innings, but he issued three walks and a wild pitch. Did record five strikeouts. Uh, He threw 95 pitches, 57 strikes versus 38 balls. Uh, Gibson now in this regular season, nine starts, ERA of 467. More impressive work by the Orioles' bullpen in this series win over the Pirates. So Orioles relievers in the series combined to allow two runs in nine innings. Uh, Now, the Orioles' bullpen in the 6-3 win on Friday night did have some problems, but there also were some terrific performances. Uh, Danny Coulomb in a Pirates one-run seventh face, four batters, got just two outs, including giving up a one-out solo homer by Connor Joe for a 2-1 Pirates lead. But Brian Baker then faced three batters and got four outs, including two strikeouts at a perfect top of the eighth. Uh, Austin Voth then was a mess and would ended up being a one-run ninth for the Pirates. He faced three batters, got no outs, gave up a run on a walk and two singles. The walk was a killer, a four-pitch leadoff walk of Andrew McCutcheon. But then it was Felix Batista time, and he came to the game top of the ninth, runners at the corners, no outs, O's nursing a 6-3 lead, and he generated three consecutive swinging strikeouts to end the game. He threw 13 pitches, 11 strikes versus two balls. Dominance from Felix Batista. Then in the 2-0 win over the Pirates on Saturday night, two Orioles relievers combined for two scoreless innings. And the two relievers were the team's two best relievers. Uh, Yanir Cano, a scoreless top of the eighth, and Felix Batista, a scoreless top of the ninth with three more strikeouts. And then in the 4 nothing loss on Sunday afternoon, three Orioles relievers, Mike Bauman, Sino Perez, and Austin Voth, they combined for four scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, the O's for the 2023 regular season are number two in the majors in relief pitching ERA 305. Uh, compare that with the O's being just 21st out of 30 major league teams in starting pitching ERA 
481. Uh, the Orioles hitting in this series over the Pirates uh, was not great. Uh, the O's in the 4 nothing loss on Sunday afternoon got dominated by the Pirates starting pitcher Mitch Keller. Seven scoreless innings, 13 strikeouts versus no walks. But there were some notable individual performances for the O's in this series, led by what Cedric Mullins did in the 6-3 win on Friday night. He in that game as the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter hit for the cycle. Uh, Mullins went four for five with a three-run homer, a triple, a double, and a single. Uh, The three-run homer was a two-out three-run homer to right field in a three-run Orioles eighth for a 6-2 Orioles lead. Uh, This marked just the 12th time in the history of the franchise, in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers slash St. Louis Browns slash Baltimore Orioles. Yes, their first season as a franchise was as the Milwaukee Brewers, but just the 12th time in the history of this franchise that one of the team's players hit for the cycle in a regular season game. And Mullins in the top of the seventh with the game tied at one made a very impressive backhanded diving catch in the right center field gap uh, to rob Jack Sawinski of a leadoff hit. Uh, also, the O's in their 2 nothing win over the Pirates on Saturday night got solo homers from two of the team's top young stars, talking about Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. Uh, Rutschman as the Orioles starting catcher, number two batter, two for three, with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. You know, one run first for the O's, smashed a one-out solo homer to right center field for a one nothing Orioles lead. The homer winner projected 403 feet per stat cast. And Gunnar Henderson as the Orioles starting third baseman and number seven batter one for three with a solo homer. Uh, that came in a one-run second for the O's. Uh, Henderson hit a two-out solo homer to right field for a 2 nothing Orioles lead. Next up for the O's, a four-game series against the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Monday evening at 6.35. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles starting pitcher, and he will oppose the great Shohei Otani. How about that pitching matchup? Gray Rod versus Shohei. Uh, game two, Tuesday evening at 6.35. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday evening at 6.35. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 12.35. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 573. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Monday afternoon at 4.05 of game four of a four-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park. The O's on Monday evening at 6.35 have game one of a four-game series against the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. One of the more notable names, and I'm going to have to look it up and so I can say it properly, but he's a young man we got out of UCL, uh, UCLA. Uh, he'll wear number 10 out there, Alan Casimir.